Hey church, this is Mike with our Vox music team. Just wanted to let you all know about our upcoming single, We Are Ready, dropping on all major music platforms this Friday, March 11th. We are so excited to share it with you all. Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97,000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Well, good morning, Vox Church. How are we doing this morning? Everyone doing okay? So glad to be with you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If this is your first time, we are honored to have you with us. My name is Mike, and I get the great joy of serving as the executive pastor here at Vox Church. It is a wildly exciting time to be a part of what God is doing in this family. We're coming off of the week of Revival Nights. Many of you have heard much about them. We spent Wednesday night celebrating and sharing testimonies. You know, I've gotten to see probably 20 or 30 just miracle emails coming in, and I know that there are so many others that I've heard about of God just just restoring people emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. I mean, it's been absolutely incredible to hear what God is doing in our midst. Tonight, we get the great honor, both here in Brantford and in Middletown, of celebrating baptisms, which for me, as someone who, who actually works for the church, it's one of the greatest sources of fuel as we get to, as a people, just watch life transformation on display. It's absolutely incredible as people just share their stories of how they've interacted with Jesus and have been radically changed as a result. So I want to invite you out. If you've never been baptized, tonight is your night. If you have, come on out and just celebrate with the family of God who's going to be getting baptized, all right? Be here, 6 o'clock, Ranford, Middletown. Vox Church, if, if you are new, is one church in nine different locations. And so as we always do, we take a moment and we welcome those who are joining us either online or at our locations, whether it's in Brant or we're in Brantford or whether they're in Middletown or North Campus or wherever. Can we say good morning here in Brantford? Those of you joining us online, we are glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Our lead pastor is enjoying a Sunday off. Well-deserved, I would say. I think he's preached about 35 times in the last three weeks. And so I'm so thankful for him. And so I know you are as well. And so we always take a moment and just say thank you. We're so grateful. He and his wife are enjoying a week away, resting and recouping. And they will be back soon. All right. Last week, we started a new sermon series called Holy Spirit. And what we are doing is for the next six weeks, we're looking at who the Holy Spirit is. Now, I want to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit cannot be covered in six weeks. It's like a prism in which you can look at the Holy Spirit from all different angles. And so this morning, we're choosing one of those angles to look at. We're going to be doing that here in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, where we find ourselves this morning, is Jesus talking with the disciples before he goes to the cross. This is Thursday night of the last week of Jesus' life, and so they finished the Last Supper. Judas has now left to betray him. They are on the way to the garden where Jesus will be arrested, and Jesus is having his last conversations with the remaining 11. I mean, you can imagine just how tender, just how important, how, how beautiful these moments must have been. And Jesus is, is looking to calm the disciples as they understand what's happening, that Jesus is leaving. He says this, he says this in John chapter 14, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And he says this, peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. Boy, I feel like I could just let Jesus speak that to me today. Amen? One more time, says this. Just listen to this. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of this morning's message is Helping with My Helping. Helping with My Helping. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we do. We ask you to come and we ask you to speak. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the residence that you have taken up in the heart of every heart who loves Jesus here. And so we just say, come, would you speak to us? We really do believe. And every time we open the scriptures that you're going to say something unique to us. And so we open our hearts, we open our hands to you, and we say, come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Well, it's that time of the year, friends. It's almost spring. Is anybody excited for the fact that it is almost spring? I mean, can we collectively coming off of Revival Night say, please, Lord, no more snow in Jesus' name? Like, can we be done with like the surprise March snowstorm? I mean, this week and this, this year in general has actually been a lot simpler in terms of snow. You know, last year it felt like we got dumped on time and time again. And it felt like going into every snowstorm, I would somehow miss the fact that we were going into a snowstorm. And so I had this little snowblower and I would either forget to get the gas or I'd forget to clean it out, or I'd park it behind my car. And every time it snowed, I'd end up finding myself shoveling and going like, schnep, get the snowblower ready. The snow's coming, you know? And so this year, I'm, I'm an independent firstborn, and so I thought, I'm going to win. I'm going to beat this. And so I went to Lowe's, and I bought a battery-powered snowblower. Enough with the gas. Now, you might make fun of it, but let me tell you, it's a little bit awesome. So we, we get to the first snowstorm, whatever it was, maybe eight weeks ago, and my wife, knowing my debacle from last year, says, hey, make sure you get the snowblower ready. And in my heart, I thought, don't you worry about it. I already nailed it. And so it works fine. And, and uh, there's a little piece of me that's like, I'm good, okay? I got the battery-powered thing. I've taken care of this. I don't really need your help anymore, okay? And so the second time, she says to me, hey, don't forget that uh, the second snowstorm. She says, don't forget to get the snowblower ready. And I had a little caution sign in my head and I just ignored it, and I went, babe, let me just relieve you of the burden of worrying about the snowblower, okay? Let me just, you know, let me just, and I got the look. You know the one with the slow, the slow nod in the eyebrow? And it was like, you're on thin ice, babe. And I'm like, no, nah, it's good. I'm just going to go check the snowblower. It's no problem. And so the next morning, we actually get the snow, we get the snowstorm, and I go out to use it, and the thing is dead because I forgot to charge the batteries. And I'm sitting there shoveling going, instead of puffing your chest out, Telling your wife how much you didn't need help, you should have checked it, and then you'd be using the brand new snowblower that's now collecting dust in the garage. You see, there's something in me that's a little allergic to needing help. There's a little something in my heart that every time I, I sense that I need some help or, or somebody offers it, I, I seem to shrink back a little bit. It's something I would call maybe I got this syndrome. Does anybody here suffer with I got this syndrome? Come on. Does the person next to you suffer with I got this syndrome and should have raised their hands, right? Yes, come on. I think inside each and every one of us, it's that thing in us, you know, we've got the silly examples like, you know, you get lost and you don't want to stop for directions. I mean, now we got our phones and we just pull them out, you know, but, but it's, the, it's the directions that come with the furniture and you decide not to look at it unless it's from Ikea because we've all bowed to the Ikea gods by now. And we know if you don't use the instructions, you're going to end up, you know, in trouble. 
But there's something in us, right? Your friend comes to you and says, how you doing? You say, good. They say, you need anything? You go, no, I'm good. You're struggling. It's the thing inside of you that knows when you're having a bit of a hard time that you should probably reach out to a friend, and yet you find yourself not picking up the phone, right? There's something in us that, that wants to think, I got this. Now, the truth is, it's not all bad, right? I mean, from an early age, parents, we teach our kids this appropriate level of independence. You know, we, we teach them of, of just the ways to care for themselves, to think for themselves, to not be codependent. I mean, you hear about that, right? So there is this, this healthy level of independence. But I feel like oftentimes in our society, we actually take it a further step to what I would call hyper-independence. We celebrate the Jason Bournes and the James Bonds and the, the tech titans who raise to greatness and seem not to need anybody else. And we say, that is strength. The problem is, if we don't learn to unwind that way of thinking, our relationship with God will remain stunted, thin, and immature for the rest of our lives. See, there's something in us that when we think about this, you know, in society, we, we think the more independent, the more self-sufficient you are, the more mature you are. But God flips that on his head and says, listen, you want to be self-sufficient in your relationship with me? That's no longer a sign of maturity, but it's actually a sign of immaturity. See, the self-sufficiency that is born inside each and every single one of our hearts, if we don't learn to, to look at it from God's perspective, we will never lean into all that God has available. I mean, consider with me the words of Jesus and just how much they seem to fly in the face of culture. Jesus says this. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, that's almost offensive, isn't it? I mean, it almost sounds rude. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you. I mean, Jesus goes so far as to call us his sheep. I mean, if anyone but Jesus calls you a sheep, it is not a compliment, right? It's not a compliment. See, God has this way that he wants us to learn to interact with him that we need to begin to lean into, even though it goes against everything we feel like we've learned, everything that society necessarily praises, this self-sufficient, I don't need you or others way of thinking that if we don't push back on it, we will never experience the fullness of God. Jesus promises us the abundant life in John chapter 10, 10. But I believe that that abundant life that he promises actually flows out of a dependent heart. And if we never get to a place where we learn that dependent heart, then we'll never step into all that he has for us. See, I think some of us, if we're honest, we read a text like this this morning, John chapter 14. I will send the Holy Spirit the helper. And we think, man, I'm so glad for those people that need the Holy Spirit, that he's there to help them. Or we think of the Holy Spirit like an insurance policy or like a lawyer on retainer. And we think to ourselves, boy, I'm so glad he's there if I ever need him. And God would interject himself into that narrative right now and say, you need to learn that moment by moment, day by day, week by week, you are to learn to live in a constant state of dependence. And if you'll do that, then boy, you'll never, you'll never want in terms of the way God wants to move with you. But I want you to, I want you to look at me with, look at with me, that's the way to say it, is a little bit of reflection this morning. Because I think all of us are on a scale in terms of I got this syndrome. You know, maybe you're, you're a strong 10, 
and you're like, I'm really, really suffering from this. Or maybe you're more of like, you know, a one or two. I think inside each and every one of us, we would all say, there is a little bit in me. There's a little bit in me that really doesn't like asking people for help. And then I've applied that to my relationship with God as well. And I think we got to ask ourselves why, because if we're going to get to a place where we can move past this, we've got to understand the things in our lives, the things in our hearts, the things that have actually brought us to this place so we begin, so we can begin to unwind them. See, I think for some of us, maybe we're suffering with what I would call a compensation injury, compensation injury. In athletics, um, if you hurt yourself, take a runner, for example, maybe you, you, uh, you sprain your calf or something. Well, in order to begin taking some of the pressure off of your calf, you begin to run a little bit differently. And before long, you end up with some pain in your hip because you're running a little differently. It's called a compensation injury. I think some of us walk in today and we're walking with the compensation injury of control. Because growing up, we suffered having a dad who would just burst out in anger and we learned what it was like to be out of control. Some of us, we had our parents divorce at an early age. Some of us have felt the pain of having somebody walk out on us. Some of us, somebody that we really loved left. Some of us, we got fired from a job that we were at for 20 years. And we learned in painful ways what it feels like to be out of control. And so in response to that, our compensation is we began to just, just smother everything in our lives because we, we want to control it because we hate what it feels like to be out of control. And so God says, I will, spend, I will send my Holy Spirit the helper. And we say, I've got some great plans already. Do you think you could bless them? Because if I actually surrender my plans to you, then I don't know what you're going to say. And that feels very uncomfortable for me because then I have to surrender to you. And I've been there and I don't like it. So I'm just going really, to really take care of things myself. Tell the Holy Spirit to go help someone else. I'm good. Or maybe it's not. Maybe for you, it's not a compensation injury as much as it is just the way that you've been born. You know, some of us are just born type A, driven. We've got one year, five year, 10 year, 50 years goals. You know, you know what you're eating for dinner three weeks from now. You measure your food, right? You've got your workout plans. You know your, your salary goals five years from now. You're planned, right? You're in charge. I mean, I've seen this so much in my seven-year-old, all right? You guys have heard me if you've been around for a while. She is strong-willed, independent. She knows who she is. I have learned, don't try and comb her hair in the morning. Don't try and pick it up. Uh, she's just going to do what she wants. Friday, I said, you know what? After she had this hair thing, and I was like, you should tell your teacher that you did it yourself this morning, just so that she doesn't think daddy did it. It's great. Yeah. And then I saw her teacher at the end of the day. I was so embarrassed. I was like, did she tell you she did her hair herself? You know, we, we do this thing now where I give her my phone on, on the way that I'm traveling somewhere and she likes to be the GPS. And so she'll be like, okay, daddy, take a left. Okay, go straight. All right, in a while you're gonna take a right. And she's like giddy, she's like laughing. And I'm like, sweetie, why do you like being the GPS so much? And she goes, cause I like to be in charge. <laughs> and I was like, man. See, I think some of us, we just like being in control, right? We just. We just like being in charge. The reason, if we're honest, that we don't find ourselves leaning into a spirit of dependency is not because we've been hurt. We just don't think we need it. We just, I'm good. I know what I want to do. I know where I want to go. I got a plan, and I'm going to get there. Thanks. No worries, right? Or maybe there's a third person here, and, and it's not that you're fighting a compensation injury. It's not that you're a type A. It's just that you've experienced what it's like to feel weak, and so you're faking it till you make it, right? 
There's something that psychologists talk about called the imposter syndrome, super, super uh, common these days. And it's this idea that you might not know what you're supposed to do, but you kind of fake it around your coworkers. You know, you're in a job, you're in over your head, but you can't lift your hand and say, I need some help. So you just kind of pretend and you just hope you never get found out, right? I remember I was, I was 24 years old. And I, I studied engineering for my undergrad. I did a couple years of engineering and then had a position open at a church that I was attending. And I, and I jumped into to full-time church work. The truth is, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I, I sit in a meeting. I'd probably been on staff for like a couple of months maybe. And I'm sitting in a meeting with a whole bunch of pastors. And um, there's guys from different churches. And, and I go, hey, uh, we're going around talking about like how we're doing. And I go, does anyone ever feel like you don't really know what you're doing and you're just waiting to be found out? I didn't know that there was a name for it called imposter syndrome. And so I'm like, does anybody actually ever feel like that? And I remember they look at me and they look away and then they just kept going with the conversation. I went, oh, I guess this is not something that we talk about. All right, I guess I'm just gonna hide my anxiousness and my insecurity and I'm not gonna admit it anymore. So put your head down, fake it till you make it and eventually you'll know what you're doing. And I think some of us have experienced that, that when you're in the moment of needing help, it feels, it feels weak. It feels anxious. You feel uncomfortable. And so you begin to, to fake it. You begin to say, man, if I admit that I need help, then, then I'm going to look like a buffoon. We've got to ask ourselves the question, how's it going? How's it going? Whether you're compensating or you're just driving yourself or you're faking it till you make it how you're going. Relationships seem more brittle than ever. Debt, personally, all over the place is higher than ever. Mental health struggles, the data is not good. Can we finally just say, we don't got this? Church, can we say that together? We don't got this. Listen, we don't got this, all right? We can keep pretending or we can just be honest, we don't got this. Listen, here at Vox Church, we so desperately want it to be a place where you can say, it's okay to not be okay, but by God's grace, you're not gonna stay there. See, because in the kingdom of God, there's this thing that God says. He says, when you begin to finally embrace that you are weak, then you are, you are strong. It's not until you understand your dependence that you actually find the strength that you've been pretending you have all along. See, Jesus is the very one who says, it's, it's the ones who are weak. It's the ones who need help. It's the ones who are, as he says it, poor in spirit who inherit the kingdom of God. Can we just agree to be a place where we can lift our hands and say, I need help? Call me when you need help, right? Can we be that kind of place? Can we drop the facade and stop pretending that we have it all together? See, I think this place where we, in our own spirits, begin to say, I don't have it is exactly where God wants us to be. This realization that we can get to is exactly where God wants us. I wonder if today, together, we, think we can begin the journey towards what I would call the dependent heart. What does it look like for us to cultivate, to grow, to steward, to garden a heart of dependence? Last week, we learned about the living room of humility, right? What if we set up shop there a little bit longer and a little bit more often? See, I think right in our text here this morning in John chapter 14, there are three really incredible things that, that God promises through the Holy Spirit to give to the dependent heart, and we see them here in this text. But if we never get to a place where we admit our dependence and we admit our need, that we come to a place where we, we do really and truly want to live moment by moment asking the help of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, then we never get to fully experience them. You doing okay so far? You doing okay? 
Yeah, see, I think God has something to say to each and every single one of us here because I think every single one of us suffers with this. And I'm asking that as I've been studying this week, when I see what's available on the flip side of it, I'm like opening my hands going, God, may it be given to me. See, the first thing he says this. He says there in John chapter 14, right? He says, I will send the helper. And what is exactly he said? He said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. I mean, what an incredible promise, right? What an incredible promise that God is going to teach. That word teach is actually the very same word that's used 93 different times in the New Testament. It's used when Jesus stands in front of a crowd. It's used when Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's actually the same way that we would use the word teach. And so it's this idea that the Holy Spirit actually wants to instruct us. He actually wants to, to take us to school. He wants to teach us. And, he, and I think a lot of us say, yeah, I understand that perhaps God wants to teach me about following him or God wants to teach me about holiness or God wants to teach me about love, but that's not actually at all what it's saying. He says, I want to teach you all things. And that phrase, all things, is this all-encompassing word that says, I want to teach you about every single area of life, not just your relationship with me. And I think the problem for some of us, we, we say, man, I, I want to be taught by God. We, we've come to believe this subtle lie that the longer I walk with God, the less I need to actually be taught by him. See, for some of us, we, we put a, a normal school paradigm on top, of, uh, on top of our walk with God. And so, you know, you go to school, first grade, second grade, third grade. It's actually the more you understand, the less you're taught, right? Eventually, you get to a place where you graduate and you stop being taught. The problem is that's actually backwards compared to how life with God works. See, we think that, that the more mature I become in content, the less I need to be taught. But it's like we said earlier. The more mature in God I become, the more I realize how much I still need to be taught. And what an incredible promise. Yeah, what an incredible promise that, that God says, I want to actually teach you all things. I mean, can you imagine that God actually wants to teach you to become a better parent? That God actually wants to teach you to handle your finances better? That God actually wanna, wants to teach you how to be less defensive in your arguments? He wants to even help you plan that vacation in a way that will be most restorative to me. God wants you to invite him into the all things. And so what would it look like to allow the Holy Spirit to quote unquote actually take you to school and begin to teach you? I mean, the invitation is there. He says, I send the Holy Spirit who's going to teach you all things. He wants to do that. Will we let him? I love how, how this, this word described helper is also sometimes described as counselor because it speaks to the fact that God doesn't want to just stand in the front of a classroom and tell us what to do. Instead, like the best teachers and counselors do, they take information and make it personal application. And so God says, rather than, than standing in the front of the classroom, he comes up beside you. He says, here's what we're going to do together. See, that's the kind of teacher that he is. He wants to walk with you and talk with you and be involved in the day-to-day Life. I believe that God wants to teach your heart, and he wants to teach you. He wants to guide you and how to use that information. I mean, parents, imagine. Imagine if you're experiencing friction with your 12-year-old, and you could say, God, I need, you to, I need you to help me unlock that heart of my daughter. And he did. What if you said, God, I don't know if I'm supposed to take this job or not. God, would you help me? And he did. Imagine times a thousand if you invited him into the areas of weakness, the areas of confusion, the areas where you don't know what to do, and he came. 
See, in John 10, it says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Listen to this. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. They will listen to my voice. See, the Holy Spirit is the voice of the good shepherd, leading his sheep to listen to his voice. And the question that you've got to answer this morning is, are you asking? Are you listening? The Holy Spirit living inside your heart, available at all times, 24-7. How often do you find yourself asking him for the help that's available? And how often do you find yourself stopping to listen? The second thing he wants to do for us is this. Maybe you picked it up. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I got a confession to make. I love Dory. Now, Dory's not the name of my wife. That's Brittany. Dory is actually a blue fish in the Finding Nemo series. Anybody know who Dory is? One of the things that I love about Dory is that she's so sweet and so innocent, and yet she's got this short-term memory problem. And let me tell you, I can relate to Dory, all right? Anybody here relate to Dory? Sometimes, man, it's just so easy to be forgetful. I was thinking this week, I've probably done I've been a pastor now for maybe 15 years, and so I've done a lot of weddings throughout the years. And I used to be a worship leader, so sometimes I'd sing at them. And I was thinking these poor couples who, and there's a couple here who's coming to our house Tuesday night to start preparing and rich. I promise this won't apply to you. But I was thinking about all the various times that, that this one time I showed up to sing at a wedding, and I totally forgot my guitar. <laughs> this other time I drove to Pennsylvania, and, and uh, I had to do my friend's wedding, and I forgot my suit. It's like this couple called me a month after the wedding and was like, hey, we have no record of our marriage. And I was like, I forgot to send in your certificate. <laughs> this, this, this one time I was, I was finishing a wedding and I had copy and pasted from another wedding and I get to the end and I go to say the couple's name and there's another couple's name in my notes. And I'm like, and and this one time I get all the way to upstate New York to do a wedding and I, and I stand up to lead the rehearsal and I open up my black book and staring back at me are not my notes, it's my calendar. Okay, all right. I'm like, hey, babe, have you left yet? I need some notes here. Now, it's funny, right, to talk about some of the ways that our short-term memory sometimes fails us. But how about when we forget, not just your, your wedding notes or whatever, you forget that your past mistakes no longer define you. What about the times when you forget that God's love for you is not dependent on your performance? Maybe you've forgotten that God has promised to provide for your needs. Maybe you've forgotten that heaven awaits you. I oftentimes forget that God loves my girls even more than I do. I forget that Jesus tells me to expect difficulties in this life. I forget and I forget and I forget. And one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to bring to remembrance all that God has promised you. All of the ways that he says he will show up. So when you find yourself facing a difficult situation, the Holy Spirit comes rushing in and says, don't forget about the faithfulness of God. Don't forget about the ways that he showed up in the past. He will not fail you now. And you find where fear used to be that a promise now lingers. And your heart can grab a hold of that promise. Take heart, the Holy Spirit whispers into those difficult moments. And he says, remember, remember, remember what Jesus has promised you. Remember the promises of the scripture. Remember in those moments when you're feeling guilty and you're feeling ashamed, the promise of Romans 8, 1, that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember when this life feels hard that Jesus says, I go before you 
to prepare a place for you in heaven. And that coming your way, not too far in the future, is heaven where there's no tears, no pain, joy reigns, peace reigns, righteousness reigns. I need that reminder. But God's conduit for that reminder is the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. That's one of the ways that he's the helper for us. Third thing he does for us is this, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You know, I don't think there's a person in the room who, if you were really honest, wouldn't say that the last couple of years have done really a number on our hearts and minds. The stats are kind of overwhelming. You know, they say that depression rates have, have more than tripled in the last two years. Anxiety has quadrupled in the last couple of years. I don't know what you've felt. I have felt anxiousness in my heart at times that I really didn't know much about before the last couple of years. And it has just seemed hard. And I think one of the primary things I've been asking God for is just, just a peaceful heart. I mean, no wonder, right? You look around. I'm, I mean, you could... There's a lot of reasons not to have peace in a world like ours. I mean, we could sit here and list a hundred different reasons right now, right? Consider all that's going on in the world right now. You have so many reasons to fear and only one good reason not to. Only one good reason. John says it in this, in verse 10. Jesus says this, just receive this. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. Amen. Let no one, no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. See, it's the dependent heart that finds peace. Because the independent heart eventually figures out that you're not really in control of hardly anything. It doesn't matter how hard you squeeze, things are going to change. There's going to be a diagnosis from the doctor. There's going to be a crash in the stock market. There's going to be a war that breaks out between nations. There's a spouse that sometimes leave, a child that walks away from the faith. And in those moments, you finally realize that I haven't really been in control all at all. And so in those moments, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to spiral into a place of perpetual fear and worry and anxiety and stress, or you begin to get that dependent heart that you needed all along, and you embrace for the very first time what it means to come to the Holy Spirit, to come to God, and lift your hands and say, God, I need you. And in that moment, he exchanges your fear for his supernatural peace, peace that really on the outside you don't have any business having. But in Jesus, you have all the reason in the world, and that's enough. See, Charles Spurgeon says it like this. I'm going to invite the band up as we close here. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. He says, he who is taught by God naturally enjoys peace. For if I am taught that my sins were laid on Jesus and the chastisement of my peace was upon him, how can I help having peace? If I am taught that Jesus intercedes for me because of the, before the eternal throne and has taken his blood as my atonement into the holy place, how can I help having peace? And if I am taught the promises of God and made to know that they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, how can I be prevented from enjoying peace? Let the Spirit of God reveal God to you as the everlasting God who loved you before the world was, as the unchanging God who can never turn away his heart from you. See, the heart's litmus test. You come this morning, you say, Mike, this is, this is great. I'm not entirely sure if I'm living with a dependent heart. Mike, I'm not entirely sure if I'm living in this way where, where I've cultivated this. The one thing you can test right now, do I have a peaceful spirit? 
is peace the dominant emotion in my heart? That's the litmus test. That's how you can know. It's pretty plain. It's pretty easy to see. And I can't answer that for you. But I think you know. And I don't think there's a soul in the room that's living 100% at peace. I think there's, there's room for each of us to grow. And so the question is, what is the Holy Spirit inviting you to do? You know, I want that so badly for myself. I want that so badly for each and every single one of you. I mean, imagine for you what it would feel like to live just in this state of heaven-downloaded peace. Imagine how that would shine to your friends and family who don't know Jesus. Imagine what that would look like to your coworkers when they're in their latest round of stress and worry because they've got good reason to do so and you live content and peaceful and you bring your peace into their cubicle and you say, listen, I know the only way that you can experience peace and they open their hearts to you because they've seen it on your face. Imagine how God would use that both in you and then through you as well. I want to give you three very, very simple things. You say, Mike, I, I realize, honestly, for whatever reason it is, I don't live dependent. I don't live fully in this position where I'm just constantly at the feet of Jesus saying, would you come and would you help? Three simple things you can do. The first is this, cultivate a dependent heart. And here's what I mean. Maybe you're here and you're far from God and your first step is actually saying yes to Jesus. It's taking your faith and trust and putting it in a dependent way upon Jesus who hung on the cross, absorbing the full weight of our sin, was risen again so that your heart could at long last find the one worthy of your heart's surrender. Cultivate that dependent heart. Maybe for you, you've walked with God for a long time, but you realize that over time, you've, you've begun to find yourself more and more just living out of this place of confidence in yourself. You're at the point where the big issues of life are behind you and you've ironed out most of life's problems. But honestly, that's robbed you of a sweetness in your dependent spirit. And God says, don't stray too far from that. Come back and take up residence in that living room in humility where I've been waiting to meet you. What does it look like to cultivate that dependent heart? Second is this, create a cadence of humility, I would say. You know, simple things. Maybe it's, it's in your journal. You ask some simple questions. God, where do I need your help today? God, what do you want me to learn today? God, what is the promise that I've been forgetting that I need to remember today? You've heard these things about like, like a gratitude exercise where for a month or for a year, you write down three things that you're grateful for and you find over time that you kind of live a little more grateful, a little more aware. I think the same thing can happen in our hearts in terms of dependence. That when we come to him every morning, we're asking simple questions like this. We learn the rhythm of saying, God, I need you. God, my heart doesn't even know, but I know it needs you. And so I ask you these questions again. God, where do I need your help today? And then the third thing is just diagnose your heart often. What a gift it is that you can actually analyze your heart and figure out how dependent am I living? Is your heart dominated by that worry, that stress, that anxiety, that fear? And God would say, give that to me. Give that to me. You're living like you're in control. Surrender that facade. Surrender that pretending that you don't need anything. Would you give it to me? And you find in that moment, peace is there. 
And then you check back a couple days later. God, am I still living there? Boy, I'm finding myself a little stressed about that. I'm not sleeping at night because of that. God, I just, I surrender again. God, I do that. And I think in these simple ways, that if we begin to just develop these habits of dependence, that we'll find ourselves more and more moving into this place where our heart's posture is less of, of first and foremost, that hyper-independence, and we learn the beauty of just placing ourselves in the hands of God and saying, you're everything I have and everything I need. Would you come, Holy Spirit? And I think there's a real, a real power that we find when we do that. Let's stand together. And so God in heaven right now, we ask you to search our hearts. God, every single one of us scores somewhere on the scale of I got this. There's not a single heart that's, that's fully rooted this out, God. And so right now, we just invite you in. God, would you show us perhaps the reasons why we've been living this way? God, the things in our past that we're compensating for that you want to first come in and heal so that we can learn to trust again. God, those things in us that tend to lean away because we, we're embarrassed about, about showing weakness, that we're embarrassed by the fact that we don't have it all together. God, I pray that, there was, that we would just lay those things down. And then, God, I pray that instead of leaning away, we would maybe for the first time just begin to lean in. That we would say, come, come, Holy Spirit. God, break down my walls. And come, come, Holy Spirit. Maybe that's just your simple prayer as we sing. You're just invitation, God, come. I haven't invited you to come into my life and into my heart in so long. God, would you just freshly come? Come, live, help all the areas I need, that I don't even know I need. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just invite him. Let's sing. Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97,000. And one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.